0: Hi my name is Robin Simser, CEO and co-founder of the Austrian company Rever Foods, and I beat the often path by making food production creative again with 3D food printing.
1: Robin Simsa is the CEO of Revo Foods, the first company to sell 3D-printed vegan salmon fillets already available all over Europe. They're making 100% plant-based seafood to reduce overfishing and relieve pressure on our marine ecosystem. Robin himself has a PhD in biotech from the University of Gothenburg and Tufts University, and he was also nominated to Forbes 30 Under 30. 3D-printing food is one of those exciting or terrifying ideas, depending on your perspective, especially if it's people is still ringing through your brain and you're worried about a soil and green future. However, I see technologies like this as a necessary step towards our evolution as a species, which is why I'm so excited about this episode. And I'm not the only one. Investors have already poured up to $400 million into alternative seafood startups in recent years, including over $7 million into Revo Foods. So here right now is Robin Simsa, I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Off Path. Okay, well, welcome to the show, Rob, and it's a pleasure to have you here. So, one thing we have learned about society in general. 3D printing is the answer to all of our problems, yes or no? (laughs) No, it's not. But it can make food more interesting again. Okay, because housing, 3D printing. Food, 3D printing. Getting guns for free off of the dark web on the internet, 3D printing. Is there anything
0: 3D printing can't do? Yes, produce very simple parts very cheap so there are better ways to do that produce standard parts that you need by the millions like probably 3d printing will i mean never say never but unlikely ever be the technique of choice to produce those 3d printing is really to give you a flexibility and allow you to create parts that you couldn't create otherwise i see and how did you come up with the idea of, of
1: doing 3d printing for food i mean this is something you've been studying for a very long time It's a space that I'm very interested in, also in meat alternatives, which is a bit of a taboo subject, depending on who you ask. So, how did you get involved in this, and how did you think that 3D printing might be a solution for food?
0: So, I got very interested in meat alternatives when I was studying um, biotechnology. I uh, had a master in this field, and then I decided to do a PhD in this meat alternative topic, because it, it sounded like a golden bullet for me, that you can remove so many problems that we have right now in the agricultural system, because animal products, unfortunately, one of the main source for all uh, greenhouse gas emissions that come from the food that we eat. So it's just a really not efficient system that we use right now. And we only really do it because people like the taste. I mean, there's some nutritional arguments to be had for or against meat as well. Um, but otherwise, it's really just we eat it for pleasure and not really because we need to be required to There's hundreds of millions of vegans around the world that prove us every day. Um, so this was why I chose this path. And I did a PhD on this actually, and was working with a colleague of mine who was doing 3d bioprinting. So printing of organs in the laboratory to have, for instance, at one point, a heart that you can put into your body. And um, there we brainstormed one day and we said, Hey, there's this interesting new products beyond meat just came out or impossible foods or things like this. And like, hey, that's great, but what are other products that are missing from the market yet? And we both came to the topic of uh, seafood, actually, like everybody knows about the problems we have with overfishing, etc. And we thought it would be smart to also give consumers a sustainable alternative for this type of product. But we didn't only want to make some very simple product like a, a hamburger or a chicken nugget is relatively simple. What we really wanted to do was think, what is the next level of it? And for us, the next level was really a a whole cut fillet, a steak, something with a fine distribution of these juicy fat parts and the protein fibers that uh, intertwined it. And, and my colleague was then saying, well, actually, the 3D printer. This is exactly what we do. We can recreate organs in lab. something like a piece of meat should be easy. So it started as a fun idea about four years ago, just testing out different things in the laboratory without putting much thought to it. But we quite quickly came to a conclusion that yeah, actually there is a lot of value in using this production technology to create these complex meat alternatives. So, um, yeah, fast forward now, we we just launched the first 3D printed product in supermarkets last month. So um, Mm -hmm. four years ago, I (laughs) wouldn't have thought so, but yes, big success. It was a big
1: success. So you came up with this thing, and you thought, okay, I'll, I'll mimic fish. And you've got this filet, and it's healthy. And you eat a bite of it, and you think, that tastes too healthy. So then you sprinkle on some mercury, add a little bit <laughs> of radiation poisoning to it. And then you have the perfect taste of
0: real fish. Is that how it worked out? Some cholesterol also, yeah, of right. course. Microplastics. Maybe some microplastics thrown in to give you that <laughs> real authentic fish texture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thought, and we thought of making some advertisement clips with this, but but it's a good point, actually, because this is one of the big advantages that we have, because as, as you mentioned, jokingly, like, those are the things that, unfortunately, you cannot call many fish healthy anymore, I believe, like, there's really a lot of toxins, a lot of poisons, unfortunately, through human activity, mainly by polluting in the water, and fish naturally take it up and it's in the fish meat and we all eat it and it's not good for us. We did our own laboratory studies for this where we tested salmon, for instance, from the ocean, and we found really high levels of mercury, for example, like, um, so we believe you cannot really call it that healthy anymore. This is a misconception that people have. While With plant-based products, you can control this much better. You don't have any issues with antibiotics, with um, heavy metals or things like this. So in many ways, you could argue that those products are even healthier than the original fish by now. Mm. But that's, that's a tough sell. I mean, we know on YouTube and on the Internet...
1: The you're going to get a lot of comments that say like oh I can't I can't possibly eat something made in a lab oh it's manufactured it's bad I, humans have been eating fish for thousands of years and uh, they're all British by the way all of the detractors are British <laughs> I've just now decided um, that's the pushback that you're going to get and a lot of people you know call it conservatism call it uh, you know traditionalists people who are against these types of ideas. Because that's the way we've always done it. But they're not willing to look at the fact that, hey, the ocean's polluted and we've got a lot of stuff, you know, microplastic found in everything. So there are sort of two camps, the we must do things the way they've always been done because the way it's always been done is obviously better. And then there's the other camp that says, hey, folks, our world is changing and maybe we should change with the world as it changes. So what do you have to say, having done this for a few years, to the people who fundamentally disagree with the concept of
0: lab-grown meat. In many ways, I would tell them they are right in some things also. We right now don't have compelling arguments for the most mainstream consumers. The product still tastes different. This is true. Every meat alternative or milk alternative or whatnot, there's still a difference. And there is still a higher price to it. This is also true. So I think it's a task for us now for food producers of these types of products, to work out these issues, to make the products better and make them tastier, all of this. And I mean, it's a very young industry. So of course, it doesn't have to scale yet, or also the governmental support in terms of lower taxes, etc, that for instance, the meat industry or the milk industry is enjoying. Um, but scaling is possible. And then 100%, it is only logical, it must be way cheaper to produce meat-like products from plants, then take them, I don't know, eat a cow by itself, because a cow needs way more feed, way more food for itself to grow one kilogram of muscle mass or one pound of muscle mass, for instance, plant-based food will always be more efficient in that way, because it's just very efficient in transferring nutrients and building up nutrients.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, on the other hand, there's, there's many people who just, I think they're afraid that their way of life is changing that that we will forbid all this meat, say, I will not be able to buy meat anymore. I will not be able to buy eggs anymore. And this is not happening. We're just creating another alternative. We don't tell anybody what they should eat. We can give recommendations, hey, this might be smart, or if you want to live more sustainable, but we don't want to forbid anyone their diet. Right, because it's the idea that you're
1: taking away my freedom, my freedom to eat meat. I mean, that's the way it's phrased. My freedom to eat the fish. You are destroying my freedoms, and I will not allow that to happen, not on my watch. Uh, certainly <laughs> yeah, exactly. not. Um, and, uh, but of course, there's multiple different ways into a problem like this, because there's the personal health uh, issue, which is what is best for me and my individual health right? What do I need to eat or what do I think that I need to eat to be the healthiest I can possibly be in for the maximum gains at the gym kind of thing. But then there's also what is best for the world and what is best for humanity and what is best for our oceans and what is best for the long-term survival of our species. Very few people are really thinking about the combination of all of those things. Usually it's just, I want to gain weight. I want to be stronger like somebody. And therefore, what do I need to maximize my own personal health, right? So Um, But what I'm so fascinated by your story is because again, it's like you have seen all of these things and you have found a path forward. And I think whether people realize it or not at this point in time, they will in the future, that these types of
0: solutions are important and that we need to be thinking along these lines. Yeah, for sure. I feel often the communication has been in the past, like we try to take something away from people and this sounds always unattractive. And I would rather shift the conversation to we can add something instead, like we can add great taste without all this negative pollutants, microplastic, whatever there is, we can have a good tasting product without all this um, sustainability issues and stuff. And um, it can even taste better. You can have enhanced taste. You can have, I don't know, more nutrients, more vitamins, all of this. So we can really add something instead of taking something away. I would hope that the conversation shifts to this a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to the flavor and that that important thing you said it's we're not quite there yet or maybe it doesn't taste exactly the same i don't know if that's the goal in your eyes how is the flavor how do you feel that it stacks up the salmon filet versus a
0: traditional salmon filet or the lox versus traditional lock let's say at very high standards but let's say right now i give it a seven out of ten i think it's good it's a good first product and i would also Give the Beyond Meat Burger, for instance, a seven or seven point five out of ten. Because mm. by itself, these products are pretty good. They're very nice, they're they're enjoyable, but to be very similar, like taste-wise, to conventional salmon filet in our case, it still requires more work, and maybe we will ever never reach it. Like it's possible. Mm. But I believe that this is how you can convince most consumers because we're so food is such a cultural thing now so we're, we're so used to what we eat and we want to have a certain flavor a certain taste something to associate with it otherwise you will always have this feeling of missing out so we get asked often does it need to be exactly the same why does it need to be the same why don't you just eat vegetables and stuff and I always say yeah. why do we eat meat right now because it tastes good because we like the way it sizzles in the pan because we like to make barbecues like and we want people to still be able to do this just in a better way uh, we hope yeah
1: I think some people just have a general mistrust of anything that's grown in a lab. They believe that somehow something shady or sneaky or, or, or bad is going on and that if I eat this, it's going to mutate and turn into cancer in my body and it's going to attack my cells from the inside and it's clearly going to be worse than whatever comes out of an actual fish, right? So how do you feel about the safety? Why do people feel that? And is there any truth in
0: thoughts like that? What you say regarding people's reaction is absolutely true. We had now uh, in our terms, big marketing campaign for the first um, 3D printed salmon filet that we released, and this got quite a lot of attention from different news outlets and on things like Twitter or Facebook, where I checked some of the comments that people were writing underneath them, and there's a lot of hatred, a lot of like... I would never do this like I would rather die than need something more 3d printer yeah. which is a very irrational fear at the end yeah. like it's not like a 3d printer is something something uh, something completely different all of a sudden it's basically a dosing system that you also use for cornflakes or similar but like mm-hmm. you just need s- single words and it gets people out of their mind like people get crazy for this and we have to see many different things also like I don't know covid vaccines whatever like there's a don inside, and yeah, they just read headlines, but like not, not anymore. Yeah. They're not even interested in substance, and I have no clue how how to deal with this. I think we're all a bit prone to that. but I don't know, why do you think it's like this?
1: I don't know why it's like it, but I do know that it is like it. Anybody who's put out any kind of content on YouTube or any of the social media networks that's anything along these lines, you're going to get that flood of hatred. I have get that. Some clips I talk about, if I talk about tech or gadgets, it's mostly positive. But if I talk about stuff like this, you get that wave of negative stuff. Um, I personally believe in advancing food, I also believe that it's our obligation to figure out better ways to eat. And I was a vegan for a few years, which is a horrible thing to say that you ever stopped, but um, <laughs> I still you know, eat mostly plant-based diets, so I'm very fascinated with these types of things. Uh, I haven't eaten you know, beef or chicken or any of that for over 14 years. But I've learned mm-hmm. that it's a very emotional thing. It's almost like a religion to people. Even my own family consumes as much meat as ever. I've had these arguments with people, people that you think are really close to you, they just don't mm. listen. They shut off. It's a different part of their brain. And and I think it is the same part of the brain that is like uh, religion. And I'm not mm. so dogmatic as to say that, you know, veganism is the right way. I mean, I read a lot of books about global supply chains and about all of the, the, the true issues. And, of course... Animal protein is directly linked towards the rise of human consciousness and the availability of animal protein in terms of brain development for children. It is a powerful force in the history of human development and has enabled us to scale in some ways to 8 billion people from where we were 100, 200, 300 years ago, right? So I see the whole bigger picture, but even within that bigger picture, I think there are reasons that we have to do this because again, overfishing is an issue. Pollution of the oceans is an issue, not just in the fish industry, but cows are a massive problem for so many reasons. Cultivating cows is bad. So I think, you know, I'm open to these types of things, but I have noticed that many people just simply are not open full stop So I wish I had the answer as to how we can make it. I mean, I try to educate with stuff like this, Mm -hmm. but every time you do it, and especially in the soundbite culture, we're going to post a clip from this, and then everybody's going to say, oh, never, I'd rather die. I'd rather die (laughs) than attempt that, right? But part of the reason why I like to have these conversations and why I want to talk to you is because how do you deal with that when you get that flood of hate? You say, hey, I'm making progress here. I'm making something that's awesome. And then you see that campaign spread and as it spreads you realize that there's a lot of hatred and negativity does that cause you to question what you're doing or does that make you believe more do you ever doubt yourself because of haters like that
0: no not really this it makes me wonder like why people react so emotionally to something that by itself is not that emotional because let's say you bring out a new ice cream and it's ice Mm. cream that I don't really like, like, it wouldn't encourage me to go on the internet and write shit about it. Like, so why is it with these types of products like this? It's right. something fundamental in people's belief system that this, um, conflicts with them in one way or another. Um, and if I may say a comment before, what you said before with like yeah. brain development, meat and stuff like this, it's an interesting topic, something that we hear often, like we need meat. This is the only reason why we are like this. Like, I think there is something to this argument when we were all living in caves and we we're hunting Agreed. our food and like grilling it over the fire. But now in a world where you can buy pineapple from Thailand and cheese from the Netherlands, and I don't know what, like all in one supermarket, I believe like nutrition is not really the problem that we have right now. Over nutrition probably is. uh, more of a problem. I
1: completely agree. And yeah, you know, people use the history, but you know, the world is changing. The world has changed so much in the last hundred years. I don't think people understand how much has changed in the last hundred years. China was in mass famine up until recently. And then through chemical additives and ammonia and all of that, suddenly they're able to grow food. The world has changed dramatically very, very recently. And I certainly don't think people fully grasp the logistics of the world as it currently is. And to even look at the world a hundred years ago is to ignore massive changes in what is needed in food and, and our logistic and supply chain. But, you know, you, mm. you brought up an interesting point. So You are talking about the ice cream, and that reminded me of, do you remember when Coca-Cola released the new Coke? Do you remember when that happened? The no, outrage? No, not sure. So at some point in their history, there was always Coca-Cola had this formula, and this is a particularly funny thing. And then they changed their formula to make a new and improved Coke, and they called it the new Coke. And Mm -hmm. the world was outraged. People protesting, (laughs) demonstrating on the streets, people just screaming and yelling because they were used to the old Coke. And it was considered one of the biggest blunders in corporate history. And then... Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola under immense pressure brought back the classic Coke because people needed that flavor. Now, you would ask yourself, how the hell could anybody be so attached to a sugary soft drink to say when somebody adds a little more sugar to their sugary soft drink that you're going to get on the streets and protest? You don't have health care. You don't have job security. You don't protest about any of that. But somebody changes your sugary soft drink and you're out on the streets
0: marching. So people do have this very weird attachment to food. Mm. Just in, in terms general. of Coca-Cola, I can also relate to it a bit because they spend billions every year to get these thoughts into our brain and to make us yeah. love them if, I don't know, Santa Claus bringing Coca-Cola and stuff. Um, right. Yeah, but it cannot probably explain this. <laughs> Did it even taste differently? No. like? Very much. I mean uh, yes I think it did I think it tasted more like
1: Pepsi because there was this Pepsi challenge where Pepsi went around and they said you know here's a blind test do you like a or B and when compared directly a lot of people preferred Pepsi apparently which was sweeter so coca-cola felt the pressure to you know make some kind of new products so I think some percentage of people could could tell mm-hmm. uh, but of course at the end of the day it's sugar water it's caffeine yeah. sugar water like what's the but but people are weird that way, and I think for, there's we're yeah. we're so hard to rationally understand
0: humans. For for us, one thing that we notice is that people care a lot about names. For example, um, okay, so we call our product Revo Salmon. Revo is our mm. brand name, and salmon it's what it should mm. resemble. People hate it, but hate it with uh, from the bottom of their heart. It's not salmon. Okay. It's a mesh pea bay protein with I don't know with water. Why don't you call it like that? Like it's it's nothing like this and we're actually getting sued right now from the Austrian state for calling the product like this for confusing consumers. It's not a lot of money involved. This doesn't matter so much. It's more the principle. Okay. Yeah. And um, this is something that I found very difficult how to deal with it because many people, they they hate this idea. It's not salmon. Don't call it like this. On the other hand, right now, how salmon is produced, the biggest producer in the world is Norway from aquaculture. and. They add, for instance, a colorant to the fish feed to make the color nicer. They add Mm -hmm. synthetic omega-3 acids to um, give more nutritional content. Same for cows or chicken, like for any kind of animal product you eat right now, this is very far removed from how it originally was once 100 years ago. We have optimized the system so much and we also have additives in cows basically now to get vitamin B12 by their feed. it's the same argument for me. People have this belief in their mind that there's this dreamy world out there where there's a farmer with five cows and he milks them every morning and this is how you get yep. your milk. And this is very far from the very industrialized reality that we're we're having there. And But this doesn't seem to outrage people that much, which I think is yeah. a good lobbying effort by this industry. Because, yes, yeah. yes, And I think they're just not aware. People aren't
1: aware. And that's also by choice. We live in a very compartmentalized society, or maybe not by choice, but by design. We live in a compartmentalized society where I have a vested interest in removing you from the realities of all of those things. And it's not just food. It's the realities of where your iPhone comes from, the realities of where the minerals for your Tesla come from. All of these realities that exist out there, keeping you away from them keeps you happy. And if you see some of these things, you will be shocked you'll be and it may change your your behavior and that's the world that we live in And, and, and it's hard for all of us to face the realities of where our food comes from where our tech comes from where anything in our society comes from and I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it but I think having these conversations
0: is a way to learn a little bit more about it I think it's good if you're if you're aware of it because nobody's perfect nobody's a saint and nobody's asking that from anyone like i yeah. i take planes here and there i, I don't know sure. i'm a vegetarian i'm not a vegan so okay. yeah but then also i'm I'm aware that eating eggs is probably not the best like for the environment like there could, would be yeah. better things i could do but i'm aware i just don't understand when people pretend like this is the best thing you can do and it's the natural thing and this is how we should be doing things always and i'm very much resistant against this idea that it should change. It's almost like back then when cigarettes, it was like, ah, they're good for your lungs. And they had advertisements with doctors and like everyone ah, smoking is good. Like everybody that smokes knows that smoking is bad. It's not the issue. Nobody will defend it's healthy for you. But (laughs) having this thought in your mind already, um, changed a lot Just like, it is bad, but I still do it because for whatever reason, but I'm aware of it but not understanding, like thinking that it's actually good and it should always stay like this, then you can never initiate change, I believe. So this is a mindset that mm. I hope can be changed over time with good communication.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's just a very slow thing, you know, like four to five doctors agree, menthol cigarettes are better, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> Those <was> commercial right? <laughs> and it took 50 years or maybe more, maybe 70 years before cigarettes became out of fashion. So the, the trouble of being on the cutting edge of the curve is that today you get the Twitter hatred, but in 30 years when this stuff becomes more normal, nobody's going to come back to your Twitter or X or whatever it is, or WeChat feed and then say, hey, <laughs> you were right 30 years ago. That's not how the world works. So nah. you you probably are right, but it may be decades before the world uh, catches up to your way of thinking.
0: And uh, But that is okay also. like It is a very slow stepwise process. Let's take smoking, for example. Um, yeah. In my home country of Austria, like I don't know, they they first forbid it to smoke indoors in like bigger places than five years ago, they forbid it to smoke indoors in all the places. Now they even think about forbidding it in like outdoor sitting areas in restaurants. And it's like a slow but steady progress. And I think that's a good thing, probably. And even smokers probably would agree that like, yeah, it's better not to smoke inside. Right. Um, but it takes time. And if it happens within one year, then people would protest. But if it happens with enough distance, same for our products, I believe if you can bring them to people like to slowly integrate in their life. Not tomorrow we're going to forbid all beef. Yeah. And this is probably never what will happen, but to just give more choices. And yeah, do you like your, I don't know, now in many places it's pretty standard to ask, do you like your coffee with cow milk or with oat milk that's or true. whatever kind right. of milk? That's drink one drink change. Is. That's one change yeah, and the,
1: gone from a default to something else. True.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is a gradual and unfortunately slow change, but But it needs to happen just because it doesn't happen immediately um doesn't mean it will never happen this is why this is a long-term game this is not a quick software startup like i don't know facebook that grows within one year to massive scale or something no like food and these things they're very different um and they just require more time i think for people to also accept them and change don't
1: you just hate it when podcasts are interrupted by a commercial Especially because you just want to skip and get straight to the part that you care about. Well, this one is different. You want to know why? Because this company is my own dang company, it's Aloha. Dot agency that's like Aloha without the H aloa dot agency we do all things for digital marketing whether that's designing and building websites to e-commerce to social media management to short form video editing to animation to 3d design and industrial design 3d video you name it even on location video and stills shooting literally every single thing that a brand or nonprofit needs to stand out in the digital world we do and so if that is something that you're looking for or if you know somebody who is please refer them to us and check out our website at aloa.agency that's A-L-O-A dot agency. and now back to the show so you've gotten you know some criticism obviously also some support from the community but i imagine that you also got criticism from the vegan community for using the word salmon as well because again we're trying to get away from it just criticism and support from all sides, let's say. But you also won some awards. Like, you got Forbes 30 Under 30 in the, the D-A-C-H uh, region. How do you pronounce that, by the way? The DACH region? We said DACH, yeah. In the Dach, German-speaking which, area of Europe. DACH, which, uh, which I think should be the GAS region. Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. <laughs> GAS, not DACH, not Deutschland, Austria, and, and yeah. what is it? <laughs> uh, uh, co- wait, what is it? Cooperation Helvetica? What is Switzerland's official name? It's a... Uh, the Something Helvetica, right? The C-H in Da. It's a coalition Helvetica or something like that. I not know. Which, <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> they love the font of Helvetica so much that they, they made a coalition about it. Yeah. Um, it's a good font. It's a good font, but it's not that good. Mm. So mm. when you get these types of awards, how do you feel? Uh, does that feel validating? Does it matter to you to get recognized
0: in that way? Um, yeah sure it's nice but no not in a sense that um, it's important to celebrate achievements and we often need milestones and it's important to celebrate them because it was hard to achieve them but then overall the mission and the goal of the company is really ideally to make a change on whatever scale we don't need to become I don't know like a massive big corporation we can also do it in a small sense but then I think from a company perspective, an achievement would be to be a successful company that has products that people like, that people buy, that people keep buying, and that at the end delivers a profit and is sustainable in its business practices, like that mm. can survive without outside investors' money because, okay, not everybody, but people can raise lots amounts of money, hundreds of millions without ever bringing out a product and then, then dying. And this is by itself not that much of an achievement, I think. I think it's... It's very respectable to to build a business that can sustain itself with with money it gets from customers, um, and then on the other hand, I think also inspiring people or shifting the industry mindset because we have now just released the first the first ever 3D printed food product that was on supermarket shelves. So
1: I was going to say this yeah, meant that
0: a lot to me because I hope that for the whole industry, not only not for us, are saying that ah oh, we're so great, but that I hope it could inspire people and elicit a reaction and have other people think, hey, what else can you do with this technology? Can you rethink how food works? Can you rethink what kind of products you can produce with this technology? And I, I hope that we could inspire some people with this. And that's what gives most um, validation or motivation to me
1: also. So how did you end up on the supermarket shelves? Describe that journey, because again, this company's only been around for three years, right? Since 2020. Mm-hmm. So was that a difficult process? Were people quick to see the value? How did that happen?
0: So basically, we have first products in the supermarket for the last two years, but those are not three D printed products; those are seafood alternatives. And we went to the Austrian version of Shark Tank—that's um, what it's called in the US, now. Yes, is it the called US. Dragons Den or what is it called? Just for the yes, uh, for the two minutes, two million—it's called here. Oh, but nobody two gets million. two million. Okay. So nice. That's out of the question. Um, And one of the biggest sponsors there is, um, one of the biggest supermarket groups in Europe actually, which is Rewe group is, um, I think the second or third biggest in Europe, uh, which was very nice for us because then they said, Hey, we have a very interesting product. We give you shelf space. So this was the story of how we got into supermarkets and now we're in supermarkets across Europe, we're in a bunch of countries actually. Um, And then this specific product, I mean, we developed a completely new technology and a new food formulation regarding the technology. We needed to build a new machine because this kind of 3d printing processes, they exist for small desktop machines, for things that you can put in your kitchen and then you can print chocolate for a gimmick or something like this. For us, it was important to have a scalable and industrial process, food safety, um, easy to clean, uh, continuous process with large volumes of material. So we needed to really build new machines. We have a bunch of engineers and industrial designers, etc., cetera, and, uh, uh, hired here. This was the one thing. And then also the product formulation itself, where we have a bunch of food technologists that looked into ideal ingredients. And this is also something that's very interesting, I believe, about this product, that it's consistent of mycoprotein, which is a relatively new protein source but a very good one actually because it is a complete amino acid profile it has this juicy flavor taste and it's it comes from a um micro like a mushroom origin basically which in itself i think is pretty cool for many people yeah yeah that that is one of the
1: most fascinating protein sources no doubt about it Mm. um which is yeah. yeah yeah wow what an interesting story so do you consider yourself an entrepreneur through and through or is this something that didn't come naturally to you do you
0: feel that you're an entrepreneur at your core i do it right now because i need to kind of i'm the ceo so i need to take care of business things but I, i feel like a technologist like i have a phd in biotechnology and i i like the science and technology behind it the most i would say because that's the interesting part like really creating a completely new machine a completely new process testing different steps and seeing how you get better at it, how it, like there's also some devastating days where you're like, oh, we'll never make it. Like, oh my God, like soul crushing. And it doesn't work again. But this is all part of the process. And then the end seeing this small step improvements over time. It, first of all, make me very proud of the people I work with, because I think it's amazing that they, they share also these goals and this mission that they're doing good work. And also it's, um, it's incredibly re- rewarding while business is important as well, but it's, I don't know sitting in meetings, writing emails, like, I don't know, communication at the end, which is very important, of course, just as important. But um, yeah, the technology is what really fascinates me, I would say. Yeah, I'm with you. And this is your first company? Did you do anything before this? No, nothing, nothing before. Yeah. Uh, directed from PhD. I started this from the PhD, basically. That's incredible. That's got to be so rare. I know you're not you know,
1: where you'd like to be yet, but you know what? Seven million in funding I mean, you you've had a lot of pretty amazing milestones, first one to the store with all these things. So the success in a short time from the
0: outside appears to be quite good in a short time. It feels like we're doing this for a long time for me right now. <laughs> yeah but, right, um, and in you general, this field, I mean, I'm not sure died. if you' yeah if you're following <laughs> it, but there's I mean, the general markets are not too easy right now for everyone, like since the last one and a half years, it's very difficult many startups facing hard times we are no exception like for instance yep. funding is rather dry right now I've um, heard that from and everybody. then then in our case especially with these meat alternatives there's a bit of a let's say there was an overhype before maybe where people thought this industry is like the software industry where within a year or two you can have incredible performance and push out new products. And the thing is just the development of these technologies So these products, it's, it's very hard. It's at the end of deep tech, biotech, food tech process. That is in some ways, in some ways, it takes more time than writing software code or something like this. But I feel many people approached it like all this, what they call tech startups, by which they mean normally software enabled things. Um, and I think now we're entering a term of at the end of the hype cycle, maybe where people say like, yeah, it's not as fast as we thought. It's all shit. It doesn't matter. It will all um, consumers don't want it. And I believe it's Mm -hmm. somewhere in between that. Now we're having a phase where it doesn't grow as fast as people thought, but we see also incredible innovations entering the market. And there was also, there were too many products out there that were maybe not that amazing. And I think a bit of a cleaning effect on the market, pushing on top what is really amazing and, Mm -hmm. and um, and making this stronger. And maybe seeing what just doesn't work and which maybe shouldn't exist in the first place and so maybe it's a healthy phase we're going through right now but it's still a hard phase for the whole industry at the moment um quite -hmm. honestly
1: yep i completely agree and you're right about that innovation because these meat alternatives that have been around, I mean, obviously there's been tremendous growth from the days when tofu was basically the only option and maybe one or two very generic meat replacements. Now you have tons of options across every category from sausage patties to bacon to burgers to you name it, right? Um, and in fact, I was at a friend's house just recently who's a, a pure vegan, and he served two different types of chicken, of fake chicken. And one of them was sort of traditional. I was like, okay, mm, you know, what you expect when you think of a meat replacement. But the other one was fucking amazing. It was tasted like chicken. Again, I haven't had chicken in many years, but the texture was just much closer and the taste was much closer. And I thought, holy shit, they've made a lot of improvements along these lines. So it's clear to see that the industry is growing and that the ability to mimic certain types of foods is increasing rapidly if you're paying attention now a lot of people haven't even tried them so they wouldn't know
0: but if you are trying and if you're up to date the improvements are awesome yeah yeah there's a bunch of amazing companies and amazing technologies mm-hmm. it just takes a bit more time may i ask you do you normally eat meat yeah. alternatives is that something I do. in your diet yes
1: yes yes i do yeah
0: D- did you always also as a
1: vegan so I was a vegan for a couple years, So uh, uh, probably about 14 years ago, 12, 14 years ago. I watched the movie Food, Inc. and I read the book The China Study and I read all of these arguments for veganism. And so I was a hardcore vegan for two full years, not a single animal product at all. Um, I found it to be very difficult in a practical sense and in a social sense. Of course, it was very isolating. It was very difficult to be eating uh, meals around groups of people and constantly be fielding the question of why are you different? And also just in a practical sense, getting the food. Uh, Oftentimes, certainly at that time when I would eat at a restaurant, they didn't have a vegan option, for example. And usually what they would give you is something that you can't really live off of, just like some vegetables without the meat. And there's no mm. protein or alternative, right? So it was very practically tough. And I was living in the Netherlands at that time, and they had a few different types of meat replacement, you know, corn and various other, you know, just blocks. that <laughs> They call it in Dutch, blockies um, of, of stuff. And, you know, so that's been a regular part of, of my diet ever since then. Sometimes I do eat eggs, I'll admit. Um, sometimes I do eat fish, not very often, but if I eat anything, it's fish. But I haven't eaten meat I haven't eaten
0: pork, beef, or chicken for fourteen years. Mm. Did you eat it, or do you eat these meat alternatives mainly for for the taste? Because you like the taste of it, or do you have like a center of the plate solution? Like, um,
1: I do. I say? do like the taste of many of them. Although I also share the belief that a lot of them aren't particularly healthy for you, which is another question. Like here, we have Impossible Burgers, which are great. They're amazing. I don't feel that that's particularly healthy. You can tell that there's quite a lot of oil and grease in there, but it is delicious. And if I'm at a restaurant and there's no other option, I'll eat the the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger, which again, is usually the only vegan or meat alternative option that most restaurants have even to this day here in the United States. Yeah. Um, so it's it's both a protein solution. It's also a tasting. I do enjoy the taste of most of them. But um, in terms of strictly speaking health, I think uh, there are probably healthier ways, like eating more beans and eating more, you know, uh, uh, nuts, beans, and legumes as a more complete sort of diet, I think, is 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 healthier.
0: I understand the point with the health, and this is something that is claimed a lot from this these new products. But then I feel the bar is set quite high by the critics because it's a completely new product category that maybe exists for, I mean, it exists for quite a while. But let's say in a in a more innovative sense the last 10 20 years maybe which is not a long time for these kind of right. developments and all of a sudden this product should do everything at once they should be super tasty incredibly healthy like super cheap <laughs> yes. and very very hard for any new product for any yeah. new technology at the beginning it will be more expensive yeah. it will not be that amazing as it will get later but it still makes sense to to build it and to keep building it yeah. and my personal um, philosophy on this is taste, taste, taste in the beginning, because what you Mm -hmm. say with health, Mm -hmm. there there are many things you can twist and many things how you can make this product better, but then also don't eat them three times a day. Like it's, it's good. It's nice. It's not really, it's not bad for you. Like it is not, it, it could be healthier probably, but I don't think it's, it's unhealthy for you in any way, but but also it shouldn't be the only thing in your diet. It should be balanced and veggies and everything, but it, it should taste good if you have it on a meal and then you eat it with potatoes yeah. and veggies. And this is where you get many vitamins and nutrients from, which is a controversial thing to say maybe, but I believe in the first phase where we are at right now, this mm-hmm. is where the priorities are at.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And if there's one message that I would like to get across to anybody, it's that I think this type of black and white thinking is not helpful for the future, right? In terms of, from both sides, I don't think that somebody is worthless if they're not 100% vegan. And I don't think that somebody who's mostly vegan, but eats meat once in a while is a failure or somehow morally incorrect. I think we need to get rid of this black and white thinking and understand that what we're really talking about is a reduction, a reduction of resources, a reduction of harm. And I think that any... Any step that any individual takes to reduce the amount of harm they're doing is a positive thing. Any step that any industry takes to reduce the amount of harm they're doing is a positive thing. I don't think it's zero or a hundred. And I also think that, uh, you know, like you said... People believe that vegans need to just not, they need to suffer 100% of the time, but <laughs> vegans like junk food too. Everybody likes junk food. People like yeah, French fries. Yeah. They like going to McDonald's. They like eating uh, cinnamon buns. They like eat, drinking soft drinks. Their beloved classic Coke. So, of course, yeah, the Impossible Burger, is it the healthiest thing? No. Does it taste good? Yeah, absolutely. I think <laughs> you're right that taste is, is most important at this stage
0: and let people figure it out around it at this stage like how you have highest impact for sure with price like just recently there was a message from a big german supermarket where they say the meat turn is there they will all make them have price parity with the cheaper products in this category which can That's have awesome. a big effect because for many people price is just a defining factor so if you have something which is only even 10% cheaper let's say conventional meat, plant-based meat. And if it's 10% cheaper, like many people, even if they don't share the ideology, they will think, like, hey, that's smarter for me economically. It tastes good. Why wouldn't I get it? Um, This is how you reach really impact, I believe, in the long run. I may be wrong. Beautiful. No, I I think you're absolutely right. And here, especially, that difference is even
1: more pronounced in the United States. And Again, it's like, just because you believe in these ideas doesn't mean you believe that you think that they're perfect in their current form, you know? Like, we have work to do, obviously, on these lines, but I still think that it's important to be putting in this work. We have this store that's called Whole Foods that's now owned by Amazon, and that's the fancy store, and they were one of the first stores that had more of these meat alternatives. And obviously, they have a whole section of meat alternatives in the freezer aisle, but everything's individually plastic packaged. You know, you spend $10 for a couple little sausages Patties. So the value is just really not there. And then you compare that to a local less fancy grocery store where somebody can get a giant thing of chicken for a couple dollars. That's like chicken for the whole week for the whole family for two, three dollars. And of course you say this is just outrageous because not a lot of people have the kind of disposable income to be spending six to ten dollars on two fake sausage patties, which is only going to get them through half of one meal. So you're not really comparing apples to apples. And I think for the average family who's struggling to get by and again, talking about the rise of animal protein and the rise of human history, of course, it makes sense for that person to do what they have to do to survive. However, we still have to develop it, and I would love to see that price parity. In fact, I think that's a brilliant
0: concept. I would love to see that everywhere. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, fingers it's, crossed. It's one of the most <laughs> yes, it's one of the most common questions or comments we receive, even from people that like us normally. They they're fans, but they say, hey, "Why is it more expensive? Like, shouldn't it be cheaper actually than the real thing?" And mm. the answer is. At scale, yes, but also we are competing with products from an industry that has industrialized their process for decades, maybe a century. Like it's it's just such a massive scale of how we produce animal products and most of them are incredibly centralized. For instance, in the US, Tyson Food, I believe, controls basically all of the chicken market. Um, yeah, there's a few giants a, that control everything. Yes, and of course, if you have... Billions and billions of chicken on different farms that you I don't know buy feed from one supplier and have all kind of have all the systems shared within this everything built from massive scale and everything can get to a very cheap level. This together with government subsidies in terms of cheaper taxes, at least in Europe it's like this, and in the US I would assume as well. It is, um, and this is the reason right now because many of these companies weird. Tiny. We're insignificant in comparison to these massive companies that are right now in the meat and seafood industry. Even something like Beyond Meat, which is one of the biggest players there, in all respect, they're insignificant in comparison to the likes of Tyson or Nestle or or whoever, like the big food companies. So we just need to grow as an industry and also reach this kind of scalable processes that allow these things to become really, really cheap. And for this, right now people pay a premium, but they think it's a premium worth paying. Because only with this, we can fund more development, we can fund yeah. more scale, and we can make these products better and cheaper.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, that reminded me of something. I don't think people are generally aware of how many advancements in genetic engineering and all of that has gone into the meat industry The meat industry itself has changed a tremendous amount. In fact, the size and type of chicken that used to be grown, I don't know if you've seen this, but chickens used to be small and agile little things, and they've genetically bred over generations these massive broiler chickens that can't even stand. They can't even support the weight of their own body on their legs. So the idea that this is some natural farm, like you said, that this is some occurring process that's been this way for hundreds or hundreds of thousands of years, they have not seen a modern broiler chicken versus a traditional chicken that would have been around even 200 years ago. These things are so big, their legs snap under their weight, and they grow so fast, they grow in just a matter of weeks from hatchling to uh, to, to being delivered to the supermarket, which and on the one hand is an incredible technical achievement. If I'm able to separate and just say, you know, the business side without thinking about ethics or any of that, the, what they have achieved in the meat industry is incredibly impressive. And again, feeding 8 billion people in any means at all is not easy, no matter how you slice it. However, I just don't think that development has to stop there. I think we should just keep going. <laughs> it's <laughs> not over. We're still going to uh... keep evolving.
0: Yes, I mean, impressive in its own terms, Yes, maybe. On the other hand, this is what in bothers me, terms. I think, most about this industry, this thing like we manipulate everything for scale and for making as optimized as possible, right? Yep. Making cars, making this and that, like having exactly, yep. I don't know, a process must be 0.2 seconds and not 0.3 seconds. And we have incredible yep. scale there. But yeah. I completely dislike the idea of doing this to living things, like yes. plants, okay, but I was working with pigs during my master thesis, like you cannot keep them alone because they get sad. Like, I don't know. They, It's not even allowed by law. Like they, these are things like, do we want to optimize it by the second, how much feet they get, how much this and that, like how to grow them even one day faster. So you can slaughter them faster and bring the meat out file. Like, it seems like a thing that we shouldn't optimize to this industrial scale and approach the same way we build cars, at least from my personal opinion. I yep, I completely agree and uh, you know we are not even allowed to talk about that
1: because you're not allowed to have that discussion obviously the ethics of <laughs> of treating or killing another animal that's why we avoid it because oh you're not even you know there was a video that recently surfaced where you know somebody was saying like aha got you to a vegan who had a synthetic belt and some farmer this was an Australian video was saying yeah but you know that synthetic belt used more carbon therefore aha got you vegan you're actually a loser and your viewpoint is fundamentally flawed but it's like, OK, cool, more carbon, which is maybe debatable because cows use quite a lot of carbon. I'm not even sure about the facts on that, but let's assume this guy is right. More carbon, completely ignoring this other thing that you're killing sentient things, you know. And, you know, yes, like we're, we're bred to be omnivores. I think that that's true. However, it's not nice mass slaughtering billions and trillions of living things if we don't have to, if we don't need to. But we're not allowed to say that.
0: You, yeah, you don't want to have this argument. I don't think it's helpful for us a lot. But yeah. I mean, you can you can put well, the question out there, like not in a, how you say, moralistic sense, but just, just to discuss it. Because many people understand the sense that it's not an ideal system right now for whatever reason. And this is something where you can find common crowds with people, I believe. And then also, what do you say? We're built to be omnivores. I mean, maybe. On the other hand, with all our technical advancements, like we fly through the air with planes, I have internet on my phone when I walk out, I don't know how this works. Like it's, uh, we do all kinds of crazy things. And I think nutrition, like this is the least of our problems at the, this time point in time where, how far we came with technical advancements in terms of food. Yeah, yep. I I'm
1: completely with you and that's why you're here. <laughs> I think you're fighting the good fight and I support you. And, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show because. I think it's important to show support for these types of ideas. And again, it may be decades before you're proven right. I hope that your business is successful and sustainable up until then. But I do think that all change comes from people like you taking that risk. And, you know, especially when you're in a climate where you're not necessarily getting that support like the Internet or where you may be actively hated for your progress. I think that makes it all the more special. And that's why I wanted to have you here to get another voice of support in your head so that you can say, okay, this week, at least one other person out there says, hey, this guy's doing something cool because you are doing something cool. <laughs> and um, don't let the world convince you otherwise. Not that they are, Thanks. but
0: you know, that's why. Thanks very much. I, it's very nice of you to say. And yeah, I mean, keep I, the motivation up. <laughs> Exactly right.
1: Because it's like that Henry Ford thing, you know, I read his, his biography many years ago and everybody knows this. And, you know, he said if he asked people what they wanted, they would have told him a faster horse. Everybody knows that anecdote, right? So it's like people don't know that they want this or they may think that they don't want it. but. Who knows what's going to happen to the world with climate change, with supply chains, whether people think they want it or not, they may need this technology in the next 10, 30, 40, 50 years. And if nobody was developing it, it wouldn't exist. So it's important that somebody out there is actually building this stuff. <laughs> you <know? laughs> And that's where I come in. I'm like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, all that's right. True. So as we wrap it up here, do you have any parting words of advice, either for entrepreneurs or people willing
0: to take a leap? What's your takeaway? What is the one thing
1: that you want people to know?
0: Everybody should buy a 3D printer and and learn how to use it because you learn so much from it and it is the future. Otherwise be open to plant-based meats like they're pretty good, they're getting better all the time and just try them.
1: Okay. And and where can people try it? like you said many European countries,
0: only Europe I think. You've got Portugal, Spain, UK, where else? Obviously all Austria, all the- all around. We're in supermarkets across Europe. You can find more information on our homepage and on our social media channels. Uh, we also have launched a web shop last month where people can buy exclusively mm-hmm. the first 3D printed food product ever in supermarkets and also in this webshop, which is a vegan salmon fillet, which we ship to, I think, almost every European country. So yeah, it's sold out all the time and we release a new batch within 24 hours. Every Monday we release a new batch. So Go get some, Maybe I'll to increase the volumes. <laughs> Great.
1: And that website is uh, RevoFoods, R-E-V-O-Foods.com. Is that right? That's right. All right. Yep. And here right now, Robin Simsa, the CEO. Pleasure to have you, sir. Um, I look forward to following your progress, and thanks very much for joining me. And with that, the official podcast is over. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. I really appreciate that you made it all the way to the end. You've got to be in a rare breed indeed to be listening to this message. Well, what I'd like to tell you is this show can't grow without your help. So if you've enjoyed it, please share. Consider sharing, rate the show five stars, leave a positive review on your podcast platform of choice. It would really mean a lot to me. And of course, share this episode of the show itself with somebody else who might want to hear it or who might benefit from it. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week on the Beat the Off and Path podcast.